0: Hey guys, welcome back to Tap That AZ Podcast. I'm your host Eric Walters. We're back with the Beer 101, and this time we're talking about lambic style beers. So before we get into that, if you haven't done so already, please subscribe. It's always free to subscribe and listen on your favorite podcast app. We're on Spotify now as well. Leave a rating review on iTunes. That's always really really helpful to help us gain more exposure and help Arizona beer get more exposure in the process much appreciated if you send us a screenshot of your review we'll send you a little swag bag with some stickers and maybe a few more little surprises so our instructor for this beer 101 is will walterson from the shop beer co this dude knows his shit and we've been wanting to get i've been wanting to get will on for a while he's been on a few times for you know beer school and a couple of other things but um, actually having a few episodes with just him pretty excited about this so like I said, he knows his stuff, and he wanted to give a little crash course on Lambic-style beer. So over the past few years, uh, this style, um, it, it, I guess styles is inspired by the Lambic style, as you hear in this episode, the distinction between them. Um, they've started to gain some momentum. So with places like Jester King and Austin, who makes nothing but these wild type of, of beers with their cool ship, uh, and now in Arizona, you got Arizona Wilderness, Grand Canyon Brewing Company, and a few others that are kind of dabbling in this um, because they know people are finding joy and appreciation for these funky tart beers, which are fantastic, one of my favorites. So, all right, enough from me. Let's tap into Lambic Style Ales. All right, so we're here with a will, we're going to do a Beer 101, right?
1: Yeah, that's w- the plan. What are
0: we gonna, we're gonna? we going to talk about what is right in front of us.
1: Okay, so uh, Eric brought in the uh, Lindeman's Frambois, which is kind of a, uh, I would say like an entry-level Lambic, like where, you know, you see it, it's a lot more common than some of the other Lambics. And a Pretty lot easy more to get, right? Bigger production. Yep. Uh, kind of, they're... Very old school, yeah, 1822. So they've been doing their thing for a little while. Yeah, and uh, I think the first thing that pops out to me is the color, obviously, and the color of the head. And then a lot of times you don't see this with American sours is the head retention. So a lot of times American sours, because they're so acidic, they just break right down, okay. and they don't have the stability, the head stability of like a Belgian. But um, that's one. Key clue obviously when you see an american sour maker and they have a huge head they're like that's like a like a showpiece for a brewer or a blender
0: and when you say sour not specifically kettle sours but like wild ale yeah
1: like like a real like an aged sour is what i call it okay there's you know like there's the fast sour the kettle sour like the sour mash or whatever and then the uh you know the aged sour so this is an interesting beer because it's uh it's a lot like the beer we're going to be talking about but it breaks some of the rules so this, the rules that I have are set by, like, people that are, like, the old-school purists, like the Cantillon, the Three Fountains, or Dry Fontaine, and um, Tilkin. So uh, this one is back-sweetened, and it's pasteurized. So that's how it has so much fruit flavor. This is almost like a, uh, like a neonic, in a way. Okay. You know, because it's going to have the fruit flavor is going to be showing very much so.
0: Neonic it being the the series that you guys at the shop have been putting out over the yeah. last, what, two months, I think? Yeah. Fantastic like that. beers. Yeah.
1: So it's like, you know, this obviously starts out as a spontaneous um, beer, which was, you know, inoculated in a cool ship, barrel aged, and then um, blended to taste, uh, fruited, uh, flash pasteurized, and then uh, bottled and artificially carved, which is also another rule that, uh, you know, you can't really do if. If you want to go by the method Traditionnel, which is kind of gonna be the emphasis of like that's what like the craft beer geeks like really like. So, um that's staying true like, to the to the yeah, like, line by line. Like guys like DeGarde or like uh, Jester King or, you know, um allagash was kind of the first ones. So uh Russian River, you know, all the the old school sour pioneers. They hold this like text as like their Bible, you know, when they wanna make like the lambic inspired beer because obviously you know they take calling a beer a lambic that's not kind of like offensive but if you say it's inspired then it's it's okay it can't be a lambic inspired yeah um all right so without dragging it too far let's get into it so first point that i have here is lambics are only belgian so if you're not in belgium they don't consider it a lambic it's like champagne you know champagne region of france that's where it's, it has to be made there. Otherwise, it's just a sparkling white wine. Okay. Um, minimal water changing. You know, we're going to go down this all the way through, like a, uh, I guess, like a textbook. Sorry. But, sure. Um, I like it, though, man. this like beer it. is technical. It's, yeah. it's technical, but there's a lot of art involved in the blending. But the brewing is very technical because there's very strict rules. Stricter rules than almost any other beer.
0: Now, now, just to clarify, we're, we're hitting on the Lambic specifically. Yes. Right? So, like, okay. the
1: Cool Ship Inoculated Beer. And we'll okay. go with, like, the style that's been around the longest, the Lambic. And then Goose is a little bit more complicated, so we'll leave that for another time. But Lambic, this is the base for Goose. This is the base for all. This is the inspiration for every American sour, pretty much.
0: Okay. Okay, gotcha. Like, I'm a huge like fan a of Lager Jester sour. King. Yeah. And that's what they do. They got the Cool Ship. And so that's, yeah. for me, and my mental aspect, uh, for my... For me, connecting this, this is this is what they do, and this is inspired from this.
1: Yeah. So the cool ship is an old way of uh, cooling down wort, and uh, breweries in America were using them, like Anchor Steam. They used a cool ship. That's how they got the name Anchor Steam. They would have the cool ships on top of the building, and they would actually see the condensate coming up, and that's how they, you know, kind of got that reputation. Which is weird because you don't think of them as like a sour brewery. No. But before glycol was as good as it was, Cool Ships was a very traditional way to cool your beer. And you'd use hops to protect it from all the stuff that would hypothetically sour it. And you'd take other steps. But, um, so it could be used in a multitude of ways. But the Cool Ship we're talking about is the traditional, like the Lambic, like Belgian Cool Ship. So when we get the water for making our, you know, our Lambic or our uh, you know, American Wild Ale, whatever, uh, mineral needs to be high, And low filtration. So hard water works good. If we used Arizona water that we dechlorinated or did minimal filtering to, we could brew inside of these guidelines. Um, Why don't uh, people? I think it's because people are sometimes scared of the unknown. Okay. In terms of, but there's some people that embrace it. I know Wilderness has done it. Uh, I know 12 West has done it. Uh, Dark Sky's done a couple. Because they're in... It has a lot to do with the the temperature, too. Okay. So, like... That's why people are so... Like, in Belgium, they have a brewing season. Where they can brew when it's cold enough to cool down. So, like... uh, We don't have that very much here. It's kind of... uh, Never really cool season here. Except for a couple months. So, it's kind of restrictive for us. Uh, The... Grain profile is usually 50 to 65% Pilsner malt and 35 to 50% uh, unmalted wheat. Uh, The reason they do that is for the long chain um, carbohydrates, so it will be a slower fermentation. And uh, instead of having the more, like, I guess, the American Brett. Or Britannomyces flavor would be more like a pineapple, like that type of bright fruity. They're looking more for like the deep, like funky, like horse blanket. So it takes longer for those to develop. Okay. And uh, by making the wort like this, it helps it develop it like that. It's a very like old uh, old technique that they probably came up with hundreds of years ago and somehow it worked you know yeah uh, now we <laughs> the gods right it yeah, was the gods yeah. exactly <laughs> uh the final abv should be between four and seven percent alcohol and uh around 2.5 five Play-Doh. these beers don't dry out as much as american beers because uh the yeast isn't as strong like it's it takes off but like some of these like uh kevex and some of these uh like, higher pitches, like, higher amounts can dry out a beer a lot more than just, like, a spontaneous. Okay. So, there's sometimes yeah. the misinterpretation where people, you know, they do a spontaneous beer and it's in a barrel and they're like, shit, it's stuck at 2.5 Play-Doh. And you're like, that's not that bad. That's yeah. good for, for it doing all that work without putting any yeast or any influence. That's that's really good. So, okay. So, um, the dryness a lot of times is contributed from the high carb on these beers. Um,
0: So they are highly carbonated beer. Yes, Yeah. some of the
1: highest. That's why they're always usually in champagne bottles. Ah, interesting. Um, Turbid mash. uh, So 15% of the total pre-boil wort must be removed before 146 degrees. And that just goes back into we're basically making food for a marathon for the brett. Because the Ah. brett's going to run the marathon, and the sack and all the other wild stuff is going to go right up front. So just keeping that food around for for the brett flavor to develop. And uh, when I'm talking Brett flavor, I'm talking, like, when you have a Cantillon goose and you have, like an American sour, like any company you can think of. It's just a different level of depth, a different level of earthiness, a different level of funk. Okay. So that, that helps increase that if people, you know, want to go for that. Cause obviously like to me, a bottle of goose is really good or lambic. If I can drink the whole bottle, if I can drink two ounces and I'm like, Jesus, this is like enamel stripping. <laughs> yeah. You're like, this is kind of like not what it's all about. It's kind of like, yeah. like too extreme for some people, you know, and it's, it's hard to get people that have drink a lot of lambic to, like, appreciate American sours because sometimes they're so acidic. You know ah, what I mean?
0: Interesting. Okay. Uh,
1: just leave it to the Americans to take everything and go, you know, push it to the, <laughs> the hardest limit. But, um, uh, and it's like a turbid mash. You have to boil that little portion off so it'll react differently and obviously stretch out the food. Uh, 180 degree sparge water plus. That's really hot. Really hot, trying to keep as much of those unfermentables in there so the Brett will have food for down the road.
0: What is sparge water?
1: Sparge water is when you have your mash tun full of basically your oatmeal. Okay. And you're draining it off to go into the boil kettle to start boiling to make your wort. Uh, sparge water is the water that you use to displace the space and push out all the sugar water and fill it with, you know, that basically empty water to push all the sugars into the wort.
0: So that's where where you see where it's coming out of the bottom but then there's other water coming yeah. in at the top.
1: That's the sparge water. Uh, so that
0: has to be still kept at really a high hot, temperature. Like uh,
1: hotter hot. than the mash like 180 190 degrees interesting okay and it's uh, it's strange because it goes against a lot of people's mentality when it comes to beer and i mean there's a lot of beers like that like you've been brewing west coast ipas your whole life and someone gives you a hazy ipa recipe you're like you gotta be kidding me yeah you know <laughs> yeah. like this is i've never brewed a beer like this that's
0: common though that's a common yeah. reaction to the hazy to the yeah. to the brewers that have been doing it for a long time
1: and then they do a three to four hour boil for caramelization so uh, a lot of people kind of overlook this but if you look at like a um like a clear, unfruited lambic, which we unfortunately don't have, but um, it'll usually have, like, a, almost a copper color. They're not as, like, bright. They're not, like, a lot of American wild ales are really bright because it's a lot of there, so it should be, right? But they don't do the four-hour boil. That's sometimes things people miss because you want that caramelization that, because uh, a lot of times it'll uh, they'll have to add so much water to the wort if the mash gets stuck or, you know, all these things can happen, so... If they're not hitting their numbers, they're going to have to keep boiling until they get to the right gravity because that's kind of like – you don't really have a choice. You can't just add DME to that. You know They don't know what DME is yeah. 200 years ago in Belgium. Sure. sure. You know, they don't have it.
0: So when you say copper color, you're talking like a, like almost like a pale ale? Yeah. Or like, like a West Coast. Yeah, a yeah. little bit
1: more like – not as like bright yellow. Yeah. Like, not like American light lager. Like think of – yeah, like more like a pale ale or more like a um, – like – like a Modelo-ish color where it's like a little bit more copper. Like oh, gotcha. Model. Okay. Interesting. Um, now they, they do a three hour, four, three to four hour boil, not just for the caramelization, but for, uh, they use these really old hops, the aged hops that we'll talk about next. But, uh, a lot of times there's a lot of like not really good flavors associated with them, like cheese and something. with the aged hops. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because of just the nature of it. But that was how like traditionally, you know, that's how they did it. So, When you boil it for that long, it tends to push off that aroma, and it's something that's been done just traditionally, and it's also for the caramelization. There's a couple reasons, but that's a big part of it if you want to go by the book. Uh, So 90% of the hops that you use need to be aged hops, like if you want to follow this method. And they need to go at the beginning of the boil and usually noble variety hops. So uh, with that in mind, you know, if you could find old blocks and age them, they got to be aged in like a burlap sack to where they can get exposed to air and in a dry, hot climate. So okay. we're good for that for aging yeah. hops. You know, we got that in Arizona. We should start us. a market for that. Like, yeah. a, you know, creating that. <laughs> yeah. hey, not a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, 10 to 35 IBUs is the target. Um, and aged hops tend to lose about 50% of their alpha acids. So um, just depending. And I mean, it's hard without, you know, proper lab equipment but the general consensus is about like 20 to 24 ounces per barrel if you're using aged hops so that's kind of a lot if you're gonna do a four-hour boil because it's gonna be like they're in there for the whole time Yeah. yeah so it kind of gets scary and some of the early jester king uh spawn beers you could really taste how bitter they were because of understanding where that hops were and how much to use and oh, we brewed this four years ago, but now we understand hops a lot better. So it's like, it always keeps you kind of chasing it with these kind of beers, you know, which is nice. Um, At least 50% of it needs to be cooled in a cool ship. So hypothetically, if you're doing a really big batch, like let's say you're, you know, a a contract brewer and you just have your own barrel house, and you're like, okay, I'm going to go get a 60-barrel batch from these guys, and you have two 15-barrel cool ships, you could hypothetically inoculate... That wort and pump it into a tank, and then recirculate it, and then barrel it all down to where you could do a much bigger batch. I mean, it's that's that's really nice for, uh, for the sake of not having to cool ship everything. Yeah. And so then the cool ship. This is where the, uh, the fun stuff happens. Uh, it needs to be exposed to outside air or like a window. Whether it's you know sometimes breweries will have it pumped in with like a filter that'll kind of, not quite, not let microbes in, but not quite let like Particles and bugs and stuff like that. So and a
0: controlled flow of the controlled, of. uncontrolled flow. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, oh, technology. Yeah. And then uh, there's an eight to sixteen hour cooling window because if you cool it too fast, it doesn't quite get the cell count of what it needs to take off and do the magic, the spontaneous ferment. And then anything over sixteen hours, you risk like other type of contamination because yeah. of where it sits at for certain amounts of time, like bacterial. So like like not good, like like dumping type stuff like smells like got off yeah, lot, you know? <laughs> right. uh, and then ruined barrels for that too. So that sucks. And no yeast under any circumstances can be added, and no uh, acidification of the wort below 4.4 4 pH, which is pretty low. No but, yeast, uh, zero yeast, zero yeast. Interesting. Okay. Zero yeast. All uh, spontaneous. All just yep. whatever gets in for there. All from the cool ship. Yep. Uh, and then the barrels, uh, they need to be neutral oak barrels. That uh, usually steaming is the way that they do it, just to make sure that there's nothing inside of them okay. that's uh, that's going to help with the inoculation. Just so you can, because you're literally tasting the microflora of like the air of that area. You know, so, and,
0: you, so you're getting, cutting out all of the outside variables. Like you're, you're, yeah, you just want whatever came in. Yeah. During the cool ship to be what? Not exactly. something that's in the creases of these barrels or... No,
1: nothing yeah. like that. And it's left to age on the lees too, which the lees are basically trub. Okay. Uh, so it's just like, you know, all the yeast that settles down at the bottom. You don't... Normally with, you know, some people, winemakers, beer makers, they'll rack off the lees and go into another barrel so it doesn't sit on that yeast. But that interaction of the yeast being there is a big part of this beer's character. Okay. So... Um, uh, if it were me, I would say uh, my barrels that I prefer most for this type of beer is like a 500-liter punch because it's big. It um, has good oxygen values that you want because of the surface area to the wood. Uh, I know uh a lot of breweries in Belgium do fooders that 's kind of scary to me to think of filling a ten thousand dollar barrel with a beer that you don 't know what it 's going to taste like <laughs> yeah. so uh punch-ins are like I think eight hundred or a thousand bucks so it 's a little little less scary yeah. <laughs> you know
0: but um what is that exactly what 's a puncheon is that just like a
1: it 's a large format wine barrel so, okay um like there's a 350 liter wine barrel and then a 500 liter and then there's I can't remember the measurement I think it's 59 gallons I don't know the the metric yeah. I think it's 225 liter okay. so those are like the measurements of like the common wine barrels but the larger the surface area and the contact with the, the less the wood is touching is better because they don't want the flavor of the wood on these beers. They uh, just want the vessel for the oxidation and the way that the Brett grows in the barrel. Interesting. That
0: sense. And that's that's uncommon because normally you put it into the barrel to get the flavors of the barrel. Yeah. Whether it's the wood. That's a
1: very or the, American thing. Yeah. But like in Belgium like there's a story of uh, Tommy Arthur that I heard on uh, the Sour Hour with Jay Goodwin uh, that he uh he brought a cuvee de Tommy to, um, Jean Van Wa, you know, the, the blend master at uh, Cantion, and he like drank it and like spit it out. Cause he's like, there's way too much barrel in this, ah, but it was like, you know, a whiskey barrel aged Flanders red. So it's going to have this huge presence. He's like, well, I do not know. That's what's like cool in America. You yeah. Know? And this is in like 2004 or 2005 or something before, like this whole craft beer, like wave got into it. But, um, Sorry to get off task. Nah, it's good, uh, man. These are all good (laughs) stories, dude. (laughs) Uh, So it's got to be blended with spontaneous beer to carbonate. So that's another scary thing. You can't just dose sugar in this and add yeast and be like, I know how much this yeast is going to ferment this sugar because it's all controlled. You're adding live beer into this at bottling and you're hoping it's, good and it's got to be high carbed because of just the style. So it's, I think that's the scariest part is closing the deal on these. Cause you know, they usually like traditionally lambic will be bottle conditioned for over a year. So you're looking wow. at like, you know, multiple year project and uh, with no, you know, it's scary if the first six months go by and you're like, wow, this bottle's flat. Like <laughs> I, I hope it, I hope y- it takes off. You know? <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of
0: risk that goes on with these, it, it seems. And, and that makes sense. Why? You know, you look at Jester King, um, and it, it's not—they're not inexpensive. They're not overly—they're um, not super expensive, but they're—you're they're, paying for that time and, and effort that they're putting into it, and yeah. the
1: risk. And it's—it's uh, it's scary. And I mean, we're so blessed that these Belgian people continued to do what they did and fight like the—the the, like the Pilsner wave that was going on at that time, where like the Berliner and the Goza almost died in germany because they're like we don't need to make these sour beers like we make so those perfect that's everyone loves those they sell great so then people moved away from it and it's just come back with like this kind of like hip beer thing we're like well what's this style i've never heard of that yeah. so everyone's trying these new styles and they've been saved but the lambic never had that because people just stayed so like committed to it and you know guys like uh uh all these Belgium breweries, there's so many of them that are keeping this tradition alive. is like, it's amazing, you know, because yeah. with what we consider beer now to what they considered beer then is different in a lot of ways, but similar. But, um, I think it's just cool that there's like this, we want to try and make the hardest, craziest beer that people were making before they knew about cell counts. And, and why we have hops and all this like great technology that we have now that we're blessed with, yeah. but they didn't have that. So to brew a beer kind of in a throwback way is like, um, I guess it's like kind of like a, like a mechanic working on like an old car, you know, like you have a lot of respect for like, wow, they were doing this back then. It's so right. much power. It's so crazy. Yeah. You know? So from my perspective, that's what I think about them. But,
0: well, I think what's interesting too is, uh, is I think these styles are, underappreciated as uh gateway beers for people right you know people say "Ah, i don't really like beer dude i'll give them this frambois and they're like holy shit like this is beer i'm like yeah Yeah. dude this is you know same thing with jester king like my wife is not a, a big fan of beer um but we get some stuff from jester king and she's like this is fantastic plus going to the brewery and and just seeing what they have there and uh we actually it was cool we got a tour from from jeff stuffings so he gave us me and my buddy a a tour took us up into the loft of the of the barn where all the dried hops were and yeah it was really cool i was supposed to do a video um and then i realized halfway through that i didn't record any of it so (laughs) (laughs) so it was just a private tour uh but um but, yeah, dude, the f- the fact that people are, and, and especially, like, with Jester King, and I'm, I'm sure there are other ones, uh, where that's what they do.
1: but like, yeah. that's it,
0: right? I went there. I was expecting some IPAs and stouts and stuff, which it had, but from other breweries. They're yeah. like, no, dude, everything we do here is spontaneous fermentation off of this cool ship. And
1: that's kind of like um, uh, Degard, uh, if you've had them. That's kind of been their business model from the beginning, um, you know, and they uh, – set the way for a lot of beer people, like sour beer people, I mean, to show that, wow, this brewery has, all they do is cool shit beers. That's it. And uh, I think uh, Funk Factory's like that, too, uh, wow. in Wisconsin. Okay. Where's but, DeGuard? Uh, Degard is in Tillamook, Oregon. Okay, okay. So um, some backstory on them. Their brewer used to be the head brewer at Pelican, which is another, like, outstanding brewery. And he uh, and his wife, I believe, opened up to guard. And it's just like a pure barrel house yeah. in the middle of Tillamook cheese country. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Dude, that's like a perfect combo. Like wild ales and cheese, man. Yeah. Like I might have to move there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so so what else um, about this beer? I mean, is there? So let me ask you this. Where? So this Lindemann's Frambois, this, they have a few different flavors of this, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, so that one's an easy one to find. Um, what else is something like people in Arizona – what are other good ones that you can find on the shelves? Uh,
1: um, it depends on where you go. Um, Timmermans is another one that's really good. Uh, there's So there's two kinds of Lambics. There's, like, the new Lambics, and then there's the old Lambics. The new Lambics will be, like, uh, fruited, and uh, they usually won't use the word oud or, uh, I don't know if I'm saying this right, but it's V, it's V-E-I-L-L-E, or it's, like, old. Okay. And... Um, those are two. There's like clues, you know, to where you can see. And a lot of times, it's like Cork and Cage will be like the more traditional, like Gooses and Lambics. Uh, I really like the uh, Lindemans and Timmermans. Both put out pretty good Gooses. Lindemans is called Cuvee Rene. Okay. Uh, that's their like unpasteurized, like funky one. And then um, uh, Tilkin is out here in Splashes. I think I just saw Wandering Tortoise and. Um, a couple of the big bottle shops get Tilkin. Okay. They're like the young he's the young guy on the block. He learned from uh three F or uh three fountains. Okay. And he left there and opened up his own spot. And he's the only person that uh Cantillon sells wort to to show, you know, how much respect he has yeah. in the Belgian community. So I mean that's someone if you've never had a a a, a goose like that, like Canteon, you know, that's maybe a good indication of what they might taste like. Um other than that, I know three f is kind of hard to find three fountains or dry Fontanin for the you know what it, the French people out there yeah. um, <laughs> for the French folk. Uh, <laughs> but uh, theirs is a little bit easier to find than in uh, California than out here, but i'm noticing some places will get it sporadically like uh, if you just keep your eye on it okay but it's it 's tough because um, a lot of people are kind of anti-sour beer in a certain sense of they don't understand the value of a sour beer or like a, a lambic beer like this, where uh, you're paying $20 or uh, for a beer that is about four to 7%. So sometimes people get scared. They're like, why am I paying that much? And you're like, this is like a five year, like, you know, passion project for someone. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll, I'll pay it, you know, because I know the story. I mean, there's kind of romanticism to it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like uh, it's it's hard to explain. And once you have a really good one, and sometimes people never get it. You know, yep. but once sometimes you'll have a really good one. And you're like, wow, this like literally blew my mind. And um, I think that's what's so cool about like this style of beer is it's you know so old and so tested by time, but it's rare. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love a good pilsner. You know, yep. you have a great pilsner. Ah, it's kind of more of a relaxing feeling. Yeah. Where you get like an emotional when you drink like a fufoon or like a blah beer or like you know uh Armand Gaston cuvee and you open it and you're like I don't remember ever having a beer like this this is insane yeah. it's like a oh my god like a spiritual moment almost yeah. where uh not a lot of beers do that for me anymore i guess you kind of lose the magic after a while but yeah. lambics always do and gooses and then uh I like stouts a lot, too. But. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Do they have that impact, though? That yeah. These, yeah. Yeah, they yeah.
1: have that, like, you're like, wow, it really does taste like German chocolate cake. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's just funny stuff.
0: Well, awesome, dude. I appreciate this. Um, I think in the show notes, if you're cool with it, we're going to put some suggestions from you. Of, of You know, people are looking for some of these. We'll, we'll definitely put the Lindemans in there, but some suggestions of people to yeah. look for these beers. Yeah, um, it sounds great awesome well hey dude thanks man appreciate it
1: yeah no problem my pleasure yeah
0: and can people follow you on you want people following you on uh social Uh, media do you want to keep if uh, you dare
1: but uh will lambicus so w-i-l-l-a-m-b-i-c-u-s but not really a lot going on right now but we're getting getting there so once we get a few more barrels here and stuff we might have some more interesting stuff excellent awesome
0: (laughs) thanks Will. i appreciate it man cheers Hey guys, thanks for listening. Tap That AZ is part of the Hopped Up Network, which is a network of independent craft beer podcasts across the country. There's about 30-something at this point, so go check them out, hoppedupnetwork.com, and see if you can find yourself a new podcast that you enjoy that's about beer, and stay awesome. Awesome.